This is interesting. 70% of the Fortune 500 use Pluralsight to upscale their workforce, and you can too. Start a free trial and see if Pluralsight is right for you. Visit Pluralsight.com stack to learn more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about all things software and technology. I'm joined today by our director of design, David Longworth. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm good, thank you. Yes, it's oh, a nice Friday in London. I went to the Design Museum today, yeah. saw a little uh, oh. exhibition on MailChimp. Okay. The history of email, which was kind of cool. An exhibition on MailChimp. Yeah. All right. Highly recommend it. What a world. What a world we live in. They've clearly got a lot of money to be spending on those uh, those things. <laughs> That's right. The future of content marketing is uh, yeah, right. museum yeah. pieces. QR codes. Yep. All that. <laughs> Well, our guest today is Matt Billman, CEO and co-founder of Netlify. And he is here to talk about all things composable architecture, the next step beyond Jamstack, and what the future of the front end holds for all you web developers. So welcome to the program, Matt. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So we like to start these programs off by getting to know our guest. How did you get started in software and technology and, and how did you get to the position you are now. Oh, and that can usually be a really long story, but like uh, to make a longer story short, uh, I got a Commodore 64 back when I was like 10 years old and uh, Same. just loved the thing that you could like write stuff that made things happen. There was like magic. So it's always just programming, but didn't even see it as like, I mean, back when I got a Commodore 64, it, it wasn't really like, no one really thought much about it as a, like a career path or anything like that. So I actually studied like a, I have a bachelor in musicology and comparative literature and then uh, started on a major in cultural studies while working as a musical journalist for the Danish radio. Always on the side is building, procrastinating around programming and everything. And then met a girl, moved to Spain. <laughs> very quickly figured out that in Madrid and Spain, the market for writing about music in Danish was not great uh, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but the market for writing code was a lot better, right? Like, so started just doing that professionally. You got first hired by some Denver-based startup working remotely, then by a Madrid-based startup. And somehow within a couple of years, went from being an engineer there to being CTO of the company. Fell in touch like product and engineering work, and then started a company in Spain with the with one of the founders of that company. <laughs> Came to the Bay Area in San Francisco with 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 that, and started seeing this change in where I believed the future of the web would be going. Where at the time before we launched Netlify, like pretty much every website or web store or web application was one big monolithic application where the user experience and the business logic and data access and the plug-in system and everything was just part of this monolith. And I started just like believing that, that we would move from that architecture into an architecture where we would really decouple the front-end experience layer into sort of its own application and work on that alone. And where the back-end would split into all these different APIs and, and, and services that we could like call out to and use and, and, and reuse across companies and so on. So I started like 
really looking at all the teams at the time that 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 were already building like that and and understanding what what were they doing and what were they successful with and it was just obvious that like it was a great architecture it was like much better for the web developers to be able to really to really take the ui as as not like some secondary effect of what backend you chose but as like a real layer on its own that you can deploy and maintain and release but at the same time it was very hard for any team to really adopt that way of building because you had to like figure out CDN management, object storage, like cache invalidation, CICD, build pipelines. And you had to figure out how to trigger your build pipelines when content changed or products changed and tie all of that together. And now figure out across all of that, how do we do staging environments, how do we do rollbacks and so on, right? Like, so it's like the architecture was the right thing, but there wasn't really a coherent, like, platform for building with it and that became the idea for for netlify right like what do we actually need mm -hmm. to make that architecture a viable choice for everyone and back in the day like there wasn't even a name for that architecture right like so we came up with this name jamstack right. to give a way of talking about it it's like this is really like decoupling the, the ui from the back end and build a whole community around that right. and launch netlify yeah you've got to have a good name for the architecture right Compete with the the means and the merns. That's branding, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even remember early on talking to Tom Preston Werner from GitHub and uh, about that. He was one of our early investors, right? And we we're talking about that naming, and because we were like agonizing a bit about like it should be this name or that name, and so on. And he also just said, "Look, it's it's not so much the name. Think about Ajax, right? Like it's actually not a, like very good name in, in itself, but just the fact that someone went out there and gave that technique a name." suddenly enabled people to adopt it because there was like a shared vocabulary around it. So it was very much the same with Jamstack. We were like, okay, we mainly just really need to make sure there's a shared vocabulary and agreeing that this is like an architectural change that goes beyond a specific tool and something, right? Like, and I think it really unlocked mm -hmm. a lot of that shift in, in, in modern web development that's, that's then happened since, right? Like, because when we started, right, like we literally have to get people to change how they architected for the web in order for them to be able to use the platform we're building right and now seven years later mm -hmm. every modern front-end framework just works on netlify because like it's kind of become the default way of building now right like you just assume that you have that kind of mm -hmm. front-end cloud layer and obviously on our end we've like onboarded more than four million developers to the platform and we are reaching more than a billion unique mm -hmm. visitors to the site stores and app that runs in our network every single month, right? Like, so we've also seen that, yeah. that groundswell happening. Yeah. Well, I think so many of the um, big popular frameworks were so heavy and everything is moving to sort of smaller pieces, yeah. right? And Jamstack was first movement towards that. And I've heard yeah. of things like micro front ends. And, and obviously the thing we're talking about today is, yeah. is the yeah. composable architecture, which is sort of, another shift towards it, right? And we've seen the whole world of like modern front-end framework, like Next.js or Gatsby or Remix or SwellKit or Astro or Noxt, any of those, right? Like any of those are built with this idea, like where the destination you think about putting them on is typically like our kind of front-end cloud product, right? Like running that whole framework as to end, right? Like, so I think we just kind of seen that that's become the de facto way of doing things on the, on the modern web. And then 
speaking to what's next there, right? Like we've sort of been in the process we were at, you could say when, when we launched Netlify itself and said like to make Jamstack happen, what kind of platform needs to exist to make it simple enough to build in a repeatable manner with this architecture, right? And now we've been talking to a lot of like the large companies, like typically like companies with like more than 2000 employees. Often at that scale, you typically have lots of different brands and different types of web properties across sites and stores and apps. You've typically, like a lot of them have bought some big monolithic systems that are at the core of that web architecture. And then they've also gone and acquired companies and inherited their stacks and so on. So they have really complex mm -hmm. stacks, like set up that are pretty heterogeneous and where a lot of them are getting pretty outdated by now. When you look at this, like whole, if you want to start a new project and build for the modern web, this is probably how you, how you're going to do it, right? Like, so that whole market segment is kind mm -hmm. of like also in that process of figuring out, okay, how do we modernize our core web architectures and how do we go from a place mm -hmm. where where we are struggling to perform fast enough to iterate fast, to build great user experiences and to differentiate online to a place where we can like mm -hmm. be constantly shipping and iterating and allowing teams to build great digital experiences. And in that segment, there's now a lot of talk around composable architectures for that reason, right? Like, because no one in the segment thinks like we can go from where we are to where we need to be just by like, making some massive cross-company re-platforming initiatives to adopt a new platform. It has to be an architectural strategy that allows them to compose together different systems at different layers of the stack and evolve each of them independently, right? So we've been looking a lot at the companies that are trying to do that and the ones that succeeds and the one that fails in, in doing that and saying like, okay, what's the platform? we need to deliver to help all those companies be able to modernize their web architecture and get much faster time to market, faster ability to, to iterate while keeping like the governance and security and so on that's required for, for that level of scale and while keeping all the stakeholders happy, right? Like because of that scale, we also go from maybe like all you need is keep the web team happy and make them ship the UI fest to like, what about all the content editors and the marketeers and the publishers that are invested in the current systems and that needs like tooling that goes beyond like opening a ticket with a developer and getting like, Hey, maybe we'll look at it next sprint as an answer. Right. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Well, you touched on an interesting point, which is, is about like organizational issues, which is, seems to me yeah, like that's like a human side of this that has led to totally all this sort of inefficiencies and, and monolithic outdated systems. Yeah. And so how is this set of different, you know, in terms of like, is this not just the tech debt of tomorrow? You know, like it, there's more complexities, more smaller systems, you know, maybe a person who sets that up yeah. leaves, someone forgets about it. Like, how do you think we're going to get yes. around that going forward? Yeah, I think that's why we're really launching our composable platform that apart from our core front-end cloud offering includes like two new offerings, which is Netlify Connect, aimed at like the architect type persona that really needs to think through 
how do we get all these different content sources and product sources and so on exposed to the front end cloud layer in a way that's like predictable and consistent and allow us to over time evolve each of these pieces independently without constantly re-architecting and, and shifting things around. And then Netlify Create, which is really our visual editing layer for the non-developer stakeholder, where it's really a question of like, can we trace through the system where the different pieces of content comes from? And can we then empower developers to define the right rules for the business stakeholders and like, what should they be able to do without developers, right? Like, and it's important that it's still in the control of the developers. You don't want to just give like some... Right, give them the guardrails, yep. No, no, you want really to mm -hmm. have the guardrails, right? Like you want to be able to work with like your component libraries and your systems and so on, right? Like, but you want to be able to empower the non-technical user to go directly to the website, to click at it, to see mm -hmm. what they can change, to work with the components you have and so on in a way that, that doesn't require them to be a developer and understand like where, where all of this comes from, but also in a way right. that still talks back to your different content sources on the back end, right? Like, so that's why we think there's such a big opportunity and sort of at each of those layers, just that you can say that in, in the front end cloud, right? Like we really focused on the orchestration and the workflows, right? Like we connected to GitHub, we connected to like the sources that needs to trigger new builds. We pushed code through the system and we gave you like the release management processes for developers to work with deploy reviews and so on, right? Like we want to take that to sort of the whole broader system where it's not just the developers, but where it's also like how do the architect level personas make sure that they right access to content and so on can happen for those developers in a way that like scales and lets them connect whatever they have on the on the back end and how do we then use that knowledge of where the content actually comes from to to allow to build that tooling on top for the business stakeholders and mm. and do it in a way where all the glue code is on us in a way and not like take that that you have to maintain and operate. Yeah. It's interesting that there seems to be a sort of two schools of thoughts. Like one is going kind of closer to bare metal, everything. And then there's one that's almost going to like abstracting things away, going to a, a low code uh, approach. And I think Jean Yang of Akita, when I was talking to her, she said an interesting thing that APIs were basically low code tools. Mm -hmm. Do you think moving to a more composable web where the content creators can kind of plug things in and, and like see what they're doing without being developers? Is that moving to a more kind of low code approach? So I have this like, maybe a slightly different view on it. Like at Netlify, we're very like, yes, developers. And we think the future is more developers. We think that like, that's only going to accelerate. But companies needs developers to be able to build the things that differentiate their companies instead of all of the things that's totally the same across all different companies, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I think part of this movement towards composable is actually like, you can think about it as the old conflict between buy versus build, where for a while, a lot of these companies mm -hmm. in many ways actually leaned into that low code vision and like bought 
big monolithic tools that ought to enable the marketeers to do everything on their own. And they mainly learned mm -hmm. that the marketeers still couldn't do their job on their own, but now the developers also couldn't do their job, right? <laughs> like, because like you work within the constraints of some massive GXP system and you get some weird template language to, to work with. And it's like, <laughs> as a developer, what can I actually like mm -hmm. do? Right. So we think like the move to composable is more of a move back towards build. But it's a question of like, how do you focus your developers on only building your things and not all the common components, right? Like you don't want your developers to build like the content management API. You don't want your developers to build like checkout systems for different payment providers. You don't want your developers to spend their time like reinventing how you do a product catalog, right? Like all of those things are things you should be able to just buy and plug in. You want your developers to be able right. to solve build, new problems, like, differentiated user experiences for your customers. And then you, where you want that no code flow or that low touch flow is still on like all the repeatable processes that the marketeers and so on needs to be able to do, right? Like they do absolutely need tooling to be able to go launch new campaigns based on your current design system and so on, on their own without like a dev cycle be right behind it. They need tooling to go in and update copy or run experiments without constantly involving developers and so on, right? Like, but a big part of our viewpoint is that like, what really makes things work is when we can make the workflow include both developers and business stakeholders and give both of them the tool they need, right? Right. Do you think this is a, like a philosophical change, like outside of obviously the the systems you guys are launching? So I always think an example, especially with something like Jamstack, it's like a bank, right? Is a lot of what we talked about is kind of very front end focused, and they they're sort of yeah. the last, you know, the last people standing yeah. with like crazy, you know, old systems like tapes and yeah. these things that feed into each other. Like <laughs> I remember my friend worked at a bank, and he said they had two terminals like two different systems and they were the link right so you look at one yeah, terminal yeah. take that output put in another one <laughs> and so like is there something you know that a, a big company like a bank could learn from this philosophy you know without buying another tool or whatever i mean we're starting to see financial institutions being being one of our big growth areas and customer bases right like mm. it makes sense because like they essentially really need this as you said like none of them have like all modern new headless systems in place, right? Like, and there's no way for them to say like, tomorrow we turn off all the legacy stuff and turn on something new. They have to be able to evolve. But then at the other right. end of things, right? Like what was the last time you walked into a bank like, to, to do something? It's probably like a really long time ago, right? Like no. essentially all interactions you have with your bank now is probably online, right? Like in a probably digital yep. in interactions, right? Like, so all of the main touch points with their customers and all of their customer experience is essentially an online experience today. And if they're still stuck in doing like one release every quarter or something like that, right. that's going to be really hard to stand out in that landscape and to be the bank that gets associated with good experience, right? So that's exactly why they need this kind of tooling where they can decouple the front end layer where they can find the right way to connect to the existing legacy systems while introducing modern systems 
and start getting to that pace of, of iteration and, and freedom and tool choice that enables them to actually build great experiences. Do you think that we'll get a service-orientated architecture on the back end as well? Like everything's composable on the back end? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a big part of the motion as well, right? To break down these very big monoliths. And and I think there's always some polarized, right? Like I think sometimes people go too aggressively on microservices and, and make them too micro. But I absolutely think that like the service-oriented architecture of breaking uh, different components into individual services that has a clear purpose and either a team around it or, or a company around it is is typically like the right way to go. And I think every everybody is kind of aiming to, to move in that direction. It gives you more reusable building blocks. And I think there's something very true to that sense of like in a certain way, like the APIs is, is a piece of the no code of it, right? Where those are the pieces right. you don't want to build. You do want to integrate them into your code and build on top of them and so on, right? Like, but you do want to have these more clear contract of like, okay, yeah, I need this component. Let's make it a, a service. And then I think some of the patterns are like, how broad should that service area be versus how micro should it be? Yeah. Is that what Connect is going to do? Basically, you would plug APIs into that and it would give you one interface to deal with on the front end? Yeah. So connecting as it is right now is really like a unifying layer for, for all of your data sources that will sync them into its accelerated GraphQL data layer that you can right. build on top of both during build time or runtime or anything, right? Like, but that, that also gives you the certainty that because it's synced in there, like you don't actually touch the underlying API in real time during runtime or anything like that, right? Like, then over time, we're probably also going to add connectors that allow you to go go through real time. But the first one is really like for the content and like everything that you use to actually build that user experience from how do you get it synced into one version data layer that you can build against and talk to and where you know that you don't have to reason about the performance of the individual systems behind them and the uptime characteristics right. of the individual systems behind them. You can just use that kind of content lake and build and ship with confidence. Right. I'm just wondering, so one of the the sort of charms of the initial Netlify approach, right? So I've got my GitHub repo, I just connect it, that handles all the stuff, you know, as a front ender and spe- specifically, I don't want to handle. I just wonder like, you know, to the stuff you talk to, like, it seems like the portability of this stuff is going down. Like we've seen this, we've talked to um, Vassell on the podcast as well, and they're doing yeah. sort of similar things where, it makes sense from a business point of view, but I just wonder like where the future of the web's going in terms of portability and not binding ourselves to a platform or even yeah. a front end, you know, system. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. We've actually like just over the last couple of weeks, we've done a lot of launches around what we think about as core platform primitives. I think there's a risk in that like framework derived infrastructure approach where everything gets very tightly coupled to one big front end framework that kind of becomes your new monolith and that can end up really like dragging down portability, but also ability to over time evolve in that layer. So we're really thinking about like, what are the core platform primitives that we have to make really clear contracts around uh, primitives like standards-based caching that's like tightly integrated to the platform, but also like really based around modern caching standards. Right. So we also just launched Netlify Functions 2.0, which is really a major revamp of the 
DX of, of Netlify functions, but again, really leaning into core web standards, right? Like just same as we've done for Netlify Edge functions, where it's really just like the modern web API that's starting to really emerge around like request, response, response streams, everything like right. that to really make it like feel like a strong contract around like this is more contained that part of some like really big complex system, but it has like a clear right. standard based contract. And today we just launched cash tax with instant cash purchase. Again, as another primitive that we feel like should standardize quite well, right? Like, and you'll never get like a hundred percent portability as you start having these front end cloud platforms. But I think we can do better in terms of building simpler clearer core platform primitives that are easy to reason right. about instead of like there's a risk of going too far in building like very tangled proprietary systems where it feels like portability is gone great yeah and i've seen the front end frameworks getting in on that aren't they like svelte and nux like things compile down into yeah. like netlify functions and stuff which i think is a yeah a smart way to handle those adapters you know in svelte and stuff like that mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that moving in frameworks to sort of think about what's this portable adapter layer. After we acquired Gatsby, we actually introduced an adapter layer for Gatsby with the same thing in mind, right? Like how do we make it portable and simple, right? Like, and I think, especially again, when you think about these architectural concerns and like, not just about like, how do we get a thing done now, but like, if you're bank and you've gotten burned by getting stuck in in legacy infrastructure once, right? Like how do you think about architecting for the next 10 years in a way where each piece can evolve? I think that framework landscape is also it's also important to think about the strategy of like how do you not get too tied into some kind of monolithic proprietary setup that you just can't untangle in, in the future. Yeah, let's not repeat the mistakes of the past. Precisely. Exactly. Matt, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't touched on? And we're just really excited to launch our full composable platform at Netlify Compose next week. Excited to try to do what we essentially like did for Jamstack by building mm-hmm. like the front-end cloud platform to do that for the whole sort of composable architecture space by by building our composable platform, right? Like, and I think excited to get it down to the to the world and start helping like large companies overcome some of these problems and on, on modernizing their web architecture and, and help them ship faster and still ship securely and with governance, but with like high speed and great user experiences. Okay. And we just want to see the web being the best place to deliver great user experiences and help more of them exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, that is the end of the show. As we do often at the at the end of these, I'm going to shout out a question. We don't have any new lifeboat badges, so I'm going to shout out a Netlify question. Uh, how to prevent Netlify from treating warnings as errors because of process.env.ci equals true. It was asked three years ago, so it may not be true anymore. I may not, uh, may have already fixed this. Asked by uh, Dick Lucas. So if you are still running into uh, warnings as errors, we may have a solution for you. As always, I am Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can find me on Twitter at rthordonovan. 
And I'm David Longworth, uh, the head of brand design at Stack Overflow. And you can find me on the internet somewhere. That's it, above Dave. And I'm Matt Billman, CEO and co-founder of Netlify. You can find Netlify on netlify.com. And you can find me on Twitter or threads or LinkedIn or whatever your preferred media is. And I'm always happy to connect with any users or customers of our product. Well, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time.